Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The annual summer slump continues for the Revolution as they dropped a critical game to the Philadelphia Union by a score of 1 0. With the loss, New England is winless in their last eight matches dating back to June 30th and have lost three straight. The Revolution end the month of August with one point in four matches, and they end the season with zero points in three games against the Union, uh, one of the teams they'll need to jump to reach the playoffs. I'm Greg Johnstone. Sean Donahue was again away for the weekend, so I'm filling in as host. And making his triumphant return to the podcast is Ryan Lanigan. Ryan, how's it going today? Greg, thanks for having me back on. Glad to be back on. And keep an eye on the team. Just been busy. Haven't been able to come on and chat. But uh, uh, now after last night's, you know, very controversial um, you know, goal, uh, I have a lot to say, you know, with that. So excited to be on the podcast today. And I was going to say, the la- I think the last time you were on, it was in much happier times for the revolution. So... Um, and it seems like every time I come on the podcast, the Revolution are hitting kind of a new low point of the season. So uh, we, we've got a lot to complain about today. I'm really excited to jump right into it. So uh, I'll give you a first crack at it. What was your main takeaway from last night's match? Yeah, I think we have to look at the the controversial goal is VAR. Um, and I just, you think you figured it out and you want the game to be decided you know, rightful, you know, rightfully so and properly and, and by the letter of the law. But uh, the way that goal happened and the way it unfolded to me, uh, I think sets a dangerous precedent uh, going forward. Uh, so essentially what the referee did is he didn't blow the whistle when the flag went up. He literally let the play go about six, seven more seconds after the flag went up. Uh, Matt Turner, obviously, you know, Played to the whistle. Uh, it's one on one. He's not going to you know, do anything in that situation. Uh, and he, he puts the ball in the back of the net, and you know, everyone's like, oh, it's offside. It's offside. No big deal. Uh, and then all of a sudden, then he blows the whistle after the goal, and then he's able to review it and see that he is onside. He was, which is fair. Uh, but the fact that they let the play go on for so long after, I just think that really uh, changes how, th- if, if that's the standard. That can change how games are called because essentially now you have to let every close offsides play play out. That to me, that's that that can change how you know the game is played. Yeah, and I think another thing too that you mentioned is the amount of time that was involved in that play. Um, I mean, it wasn't like a split second where everyone was still naturally reacting or they did not real, the off, realize the offside flag was up. Um, if you watch that play, um, the revolution back line, and I think it was CJ Sapong, who you'll see at the bottom of your screen, they kind of turn around and they start running back. Like they're, they're not following the play. It looks like Burke and Matt Turner are still playing out the, the play and they're, they're still um, going at 100% effort. So I guess you can make the argument the offside flag did not affect the play, but I'm not a huge fan of how it played out. Um, I think it's pretty apparent that a lot of people stopped running, and, and you're right. Um, if the offside flag is going to be kind of disregarded like that, um, I think it sends a mixed signal to the players. I, I, 
I, I'm, it's kind of a very salty way for the revolution to, to drop this, this game. But, um, I, I will say to the referee's credit, it did look like Burke was on side. So we'll give him that. And then a lot of people were saying that there was a whistle during the play. Um, I went back and I watched, I did not hear any whistles until the ball went into the net, like you said. So, um, this might be, um, like a tuck rule scenario, which is that the referee actually did what he could have done correctly or, or what he should have done correctly, but the rule doesn't seem to play very well with me. And you're right. How long of a play can you continue on until you, you know, it, it's too long to review, you know, are, are we going to have plays that last another 15, 20 seconds, and then you're going to go back and review. Um, I, I, it, it was very bizarre to me. And when they went to VAR, I, I didn't think they were going to rule it as a goal. I thought, you know, maybe they'd give the union a free kick or something like that. Cause it was very apparent that everyone stopped playing, um, outside of Burke and Turner. So, um, it's, it's a sour taste for the revolution, but a, a really hard lesson learned, I'd say. And I, I don't blame the revolution for, um, being very, very upset about it. I, I thought that was a very, one of the most bizarre goals I've ever seen. Yeah. I think it was, it was back in April. Um, the Revs had a, uh, a win over sporting KC, and it, a similar uh, situation where um, I think it was uh, to Bunbury scored from an outside position. Uh, and it was pretty quick, though, but it was a deflection off a defender. So uh, after the ball had gone in, the whistle went up, they reviewed, and it counted. And, and I didn't really like it then either. Um, but it, it did make sense because it was off a defender. So by the letter of the law, that was onside. Um, but it was a much quicker play, I felt like. It, it was kind of more of a bang-bang the defenders really didn't even have a chance to kind of react. In this situation, uh, Burke gets the ball. Burke takes off maybe 10 yards over half. He's barely into the attacking half um, when he takes off. So for them to allow that play to keep going, um, Burke had to know it was close. But, you know, obviously he doesn't hear a whistle, so he's going to keep going. You have to think Turner saw the flag, but it's almost like uh, in basketball after a foul, someone shoots, you know, of a, a shot and you go up and you – Kevin Garnett and you block it out of the rim kind of thing. You just play to, so they don't put the ball in your net. Um, but then they're able to, I, I just think it's kind of crazy. They're able to say, Hey, no, that's a live play. Um, because I think you just grow up playing soccer and you trust that the referee who is making a call on the sideline, the, the sideline official is, is making the correct call. <laughs> so for you to see that he's making a call and to not trust him, I don't know. I think that's, that's kind of crazy to me, but, um, it, the other thing too, is I, as far as I saw on the broadcast, there was no clear angle. Um, I don't know. I saw one later. I saw one online, but the angle they kept showing on the broadcast was from like almost the corner flag. It felt like, mm-hmm. like it was not a straight on angle. And I mean, it, he looked pretty close to onside anyways from that angle. But if we're doing VAR, how are we not getting the best angle? So, so, and while they were doing replay shots too, uh, 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 from my perspective too, and I, and for those of our listeners who don't know, I actually live in Philadelphia. So I was listening to the Philadelphia broadcast yesterday and they were doing the same thing where the angles they were showing were not great. Um, they didn't look definitive to me and, and the referee ran over, took one look and then was like, Oh, that's onside. It, it, it looked very clear. I, I had to go back and I rewound it and I paused it right where the pause left the, the pass left the foot and he is onside. 
there is a definitive look, but for some reason, and I don't know if, if the revolution broadcast was the same as, as the broadcast I was watching, but for some reason on replay, it was really, really difficult to tell. And you're, you're right at the time. I was like, how is that a definitive? Yep. Absolutely on side. They, they made it seem like it was a extremely obvious play. Um, when Wait, it, what is, is the termination clear and obvious error or is it around those words is for it, them to overturn it? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and Going back and pausing, I assume the referee had the still frame or, or was was watching it. I mean, I watched in slow motion. It is uh, uh, apparent to me that he was onside. I'll say that. Yeah, um, I did see an angle, and I, I want to say it was on the recap uh, on the online on the highlights where they actually showed, or it might have been on a, one of the Twitter videos where they showed a direct straight on angle. Yep. And he's he's very in line with Mancy, and he's right. he's directly in line. He's onside. But I, I just couldn't believe, and maybe the referee, he must have had that look because, like you said, it was very, very quick. Um, like, no doubt in his mind that he was making the right call, which is even crazier to me um, because it was such a kind of controversial call. Correct. You would expect it maybe to take a little bit longer. But he must have had that straight-on look that we didn't get to see till later because during the Revs broadcast, and this just must have been whatever camera angle they were had available, um, it was not straight-on. It was from behind almost, so... Uh, not straight behind, but diagonally behind, so you don't know the angles. Um, but yeah, when, he definitely was onside, but just again, to allow that play to go on six, seven more seconds, let him dribble around the keeper, take his time, uh, That's to me that's dangerous. I, I, I don't like how that's um, called, and it's going to be interesting to see if um, any other plays like that happen, because I don't think anyone on the receiving end of a goal like that would be too pleased. I didn't think this was something that VAR would be used for. I figured it'd be fouls in the box and, you know, the ball crossed the line and stuff like that. I, I, I share your concerns that this might be a bridge too far for VAR. And, and you know, the, this has nothing to do with last night's game, but I have a lot of complaints about how VAR has, VAR has been implemented and how it hasn't been implemented um, earlier in the season. There are some times where it seems like a very obvious situation where you would go to VAR and they flat out don't. So I think MLS is having a lot of difficulty in general figuring out VAR and where to use it and when to use it. And, um, you know, I, I it seems like the revolution are on the wrong end of, of a lot of these VAR reviews or non-reviews. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I think if we're going to have these long plays that play out and half the half the players are jogging back thinking the play's over and half of them are playing it through, um, we're going to have a, a really big problem. So. Um, the only, thing, other, the only other final point on that, too, is is I, I guess more than one thing is reviewable in, in that replay. Um, my only thought is is if that's reviewed, it's onside, um, Matt Turner comes out and just takes him out, takes Burke out, right? Slides mm-hmm. right through him. Uh, and it's offside, though, so his the flag is up in his mind, so he's playing it, and he takes him out. Like he, takes, he goes to grab the ball, you know, or whatever, grabs the ball outside the box, whatever it may be. Does something that's an infraction – and then they go back and review it and say, oh, no, he's onside. That flag that you just saw on the side is not, does not matter. Is that now a PK? Is that now a direct kick from outside the box? Um, because what they did is after the goal, he got a yellow card for taking his shirt off. He wasn't going to get that yellow card yeah, unless I, it was a goal. Yeah, so in, in the moments just, of confusion, it was like, well, is Burke at least getting a yellow card? And, I, and they didn't mention it on the Philadelphia broadcast, but there, you know, I had to look up whether or not he got a yellow in general. So yeah, the Revs broadcast had a brief. It was very quick after the goal. It was like he pointed to the spot, 
they cut to something else. They cut back, and he got a yellow card real quick. And then the focus became on the um, whatever was happening in front of the bench there with uh, and um, it, it, whatever that was. That's what the Revs broadcast really focused on. But they did show Burke at the yellow. But my thing is, if that's not offside, if that's offside, are we not giving him that yellow because he's still taking his shirt off? Right. So acting as if that play was live, but. I didn't Again, think they were going to give him the yellow. If they ruled no goal, I was under the impression they were not giving him that yellow because yes. yeah. there was an offside call, and then there were a few moments where they were going to carry on with the game, and the referee had no indication of pulling out a card. Yeah, there was, I agree. Yeah, so, it seemed like that was going to get away with it. I also wonder, too, if this would have gone to review. I mean, my, my assumption is yes, but if Matt Turner just stops playing, if he's pointing at the offside flag and is, mm. you know, if if... if Burke is dribbling in and, and Turner is pointing to the offsides flag and saying there's a flag up and, and Burke takes a shot and scores. I mean, I guess by the rule, that's still a goal, but I, I would imagine, I, I don't know, is it handled the exact same way as it was yesterday? I think the one thing the referee can really point to is say, well, Burke and Turner were still playing until the whistle, so there's no effect on the game. But I, I wonder if this would have been handled exactly the same way if Turner had stopped playing. And I think there'd be a much bigger controversy today um, if Turner did stop playing. But to his, to his credit, he played it out. But um, I don't know. A, a, lot of, a lot of complaints yeah, about that. That's an interesting point. And then it, I just <laughs> I think uh, that will announce if you're a midfielder, you're played in behind. If you think it's close at all, you just play the rest of the play. I yeah. mean, I just think that, that that could result in yellow cards against you almost. Yep. Yeah. Who's and, to and, say, you know, you're up a goal, you get played in behind because the other team's pushing numbers forward, play, playing a high line. You get played in behind. It's close. The flag goes up. You're going to keep playing now because you're going to think, you know, you have a chance to score. I guess you stop when the whistle goes. But why wouldn't that ref let it play? Then you kick it off the goalie when it's offside. Um, then you get a yellow card for unsporting-like behavior. That, to me, I'm, I could go on and on about this. I think it opens a whole can of worms. Um, and I, I, otherwise, I mean, we're looking at tie. Don't let's not act like that. You know, made the revolution lose three points. They're, they lost, you know, two from it um, at most. So yeah, that's a whole can of worms. I could go down forever with VAR. So. So, and, and while we're still on that play, uh, I, I want to kind of shift into our first player performance. Before I get to my takeaway, we'll get into uh, Michael Mancien, who is three games into his Revolution tenure now. Um, I guess the one thing you can point to is he was the one that kind of uh, was the reason Burke was on side. He was the last defender back. I don't know if you can place a whole ton of blame on him because, as I say, he was, he was barely uh, in the Revolution uh, half. Uh, it, it, but he did did kind of set off the offside trap. Um, but over, overall, regardless of that one play, I, I thought he played very well. I thought he's been an, a great addition to the Revolution so far. Uh, yesterday, he had a pass accuracy of 82%, although a lot of these were short passes along the back line. Uh, he did have a tackle, three interceptions, one clearance, uh, and one block shot. Uh, he seems to be kind of pulling his weight and uh, has really added a lot to the back line. Um, Ryan, what did you think of his performance, uh, I'll say, yesterday? And, and since we didn't have an episode last week, what we'll, we can kind of say in general so far, what are your impressions of him? Yeah, I think he's been solid. Um, give him time to acclimate to the guys around you. I think the last time I was on, maybe it was two times ago, uh, one of my big things was about center back uh, consistency. I thought early on in the season when Frida bounced around with Inibaba, Delamea, and Dielna, I, I just didn't like it. I thought, you know, settle on your guys and go. 
And we're still seeing that center back position change, the, the pairing change. So uh, I think Mancien, <laughs> I think he's kind of going to be one of the two. Um, I think he's in there. I think he's got his spot. Uh, he played well with Andy Baba last night. Um, but this, I, does, if Mancien makes a mistake, is he out of the 18? I mean, are we, you know what I mean? Are we looking at that kind of situation? But that's, again, down a different road. Overall, I thought he played solid. I thought he did what he needed to do. Um, I thought for a lot of Revolution fans, they, they were very excited. Like, oh, he played wonderful. He played great. Um, I think that's what you want a center back to play like. Uh, I don't think you need him to be a superhero. I think you need to do what he did uh, was, you know, in good positions. Uh, he kind of got beat up last night. I think he went down three separate times. I think he got hit with the ball twice. Um, and then he got taken, he got a shot to the, the ribs on like a follow through. Um, but he, you know, he, he kept going. Uh, just overall, I thought he was, you know, really solid. Yeah, and that, uh, actually, we got a Twitter question about uh, Metzian taking a beating last night. Uh, I think uh, Matt Turner came out to punch a, a cross or, or a, something like that, and oh, yeah, he, he yeah. ended up getting a, a good chunk of Metzian, and then uh, Metzian took a, a couple of block shots. He, he was down a lot last night. Um, and, yeah, and I remember it, three times specifically. I know, I know the first half, uh, the one was literally just he was closing down a cross, and the follow-through came up and hit him in the side. Um, and then you're right, he got completely walloped by uh, Matt Turner, and he kind of just was looking the wrong way, it almost seemed. He turned around, and there was Matt Turner, which um, that cross that came in that Matt Turner came out, I forget who it was, but that was a wonderful cross. Mm-hmm. The pace and the, the pace and the service on that was awesome. Um, and then he did get, yeah, he got, uh, I think he blocked a shot down low. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was on the ground a lot, but I, I thought, you know what? If he's, and that's a good pairing with Andy Baba, because Andy Baba's terrific at blocking shots, too. So if you can get guys that are willing to kind of get in the way, sacrifice the body, and get up and do it again, um, it's not a bad pairing. But you know, I, I I just ask for consistency in that spot. Yeah, and and now that I realize this, we didn't have an episode last week, so I don't think we've discussed too that Mancien. It was reported that he's the highest paid uh, defender in MLS. So, uh, which is, is is pretty big news. Uh, and and I had previously said uh, when we were recording episodes in the transfer window that, you know, the revolution needed another defender and, but I, I didn't necessarily want them to go out and make a huge splash on the DP side. Cause uh, you, you really have to have a hit on that one. You can't swing and miss uh, considering, you know, the, make another Christian Nemeth signing, for example. And it looks like that uh, Mancien is that big signing. Uh, he is this big cut that the revolution are taking and they do expect him to be a game changer. Uh, and, and so far, I, I've liked what I've seen, but you're right. He, he's a consistent player. He's not going to win games for the Revolution. He's going to not lose them. Um, he, he might be able to turn some losses into draws, but he's not going to turn draws into uh, wins. He's not going to really contribute a lot offensively, which the Revolution, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. The Revolution uh, have some issues there too. Um, but uh, yeah, so far he, he's brought some consistency. Um, I, I agree with your... Um, issues that it seems like they're still mixing in De La Maya and Annie Baba. And I'll get into that later to why I think that is. Um, but there, there isn't a lot of consistency among those, the, those two rotating in and out. I think he's still getting acclimated with the team. I think he's still, uh, you know, maybe they're trying to see who he works well with. Um, but overall him as a player, I didn't see too many mistakes from him yesterday. Uh, and, and they were certainly tested at Philadelphia certainly was, 
um, trying to kick it long and try to beat some defenders. And, and I thought Mancien um, held his own yesterday. So uh, overall, uh, good so far. Is he highest paid defender in MLS? Good. Uh, I would. I still want to see a little yeah. bit more out of them before I. Yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment until he. You know, two or three games in, he's been good. He hasn't been highest paid defender good, but he hasn't been like a bust bad. So I right. give him plenty of time. Let him. Let him get a center back pairing that he knows that he's played two games with, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see how they, you know, just develop. Because I, you know, obviously, he's he's an experienced player. He, he knows the game. Um, he wouldn't have played where he's played without, you know, having some talent. So we'll, um, you know, let him play more than whatever it is, 180 minutes that he's played, and um, then go from there. He might be the cornerstone that the Revs need on that defense. And and if if even if he's not the best defender in the league. If he helps the revolution defensively with what they need, solidifying that defense, he can be worth the highest paid defender because the revolution needed that, that bad. Yeah. Uh, I I think the revolution are overpaying for out of need. I I think that's absolutely part of the case here. And I, I think they wanted to bring in someone with his experience in the Bundesliga, uh, uh, in the championship, in the Premier League, and he came up through the Chelsea ranks. He certainly got the resume to come in and, and make an impact along that back line. And I, I think they're willing to overpay in the short term. And, and, and I'm going off of memory. I don't think he's on a long-term contract. I think it's through the 2019 season. I think I saw that somewhere, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think they wanted to solidify that back line because – I don't think Brad Friel has been impressed with anyone along that back line. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I don't think, maybe Brandon by he, he likes him a lot. I think I was going to say outside um, of Brandon by playing at right back next year. I don't know if anyone's coming back. I, I, you know, I, I think he kind of sees that as a full project. And so I think looking in next season, he, he feels, you know, if I can come in and, and get this signing through for next season and, and kind of have one center back spot down, I kind of view this as him uh, getting a jump start on next season as as much as getting a center back in for this season. So since the defense was not terrible last night, they didn't have any uh, set pieces. I want to switch over to complaining about the offense and uh, get to my big takeaway, which is that Teal Bunbury is more important than I think all of us thought. He was benched uh, a few games ago. Uh, he came off the bench and, and had that nice goal. And it, it looked like the Revolution were playing a similar formation to what they did that game. It was kind of a bit of a mix-up because they had three defensive mids in there. They really lacked any offensive cohesion yesterday. Um, you can kind of tell that uh, there are some new players on that team between Mancien and Machado. And uh, you can kind of tell this formation was, was a little bit new to them because they had really no chemistry uh, whatsoever. And... Uh, of course, with Christian Nemeth uh, leaving too, they, they lack options on the bench too. Uh, they had in total six key passes, according to who scored. And and Ryan, I'll give you a guess. Who who two two players had two key passes yesterday? Can you guess who they were? Two key passes. Um, Andrew Farrell and uh, Matt Turner. <laughs> I mean, you got one out of two. A- Andrew Farrell had two. Wilfred Zahibo had two. Oh, you know, I was thinking about him, too. I thought he, <laughs> he pushed okay forward, but that's not great when that's basically your back five uh, <laughs> is among that. You know, you have got – I mean, where's the creativity of launching someone forward? Right. Um, and I know this is a big takeaway for you, and I kind of feel the same way. Um, they they looked okay getting to the final third, I thought. They actually built up okay at times, and then get to the final third – and it would be like, all right, we're going to pass it back. 
Yep. And I get you can't penetrate every single time. You know, obviously, you're going to play some possession, move the ball around. I mean, there was a simple one where they got to the final third, and Agadello and um, Machado were just wide open on the sideline and just misplayed them out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And so that, I guess, takes time. But again, it shouldn't take too much time to just pass back and forth with somebody. Um, but and there was times, like, here's my big thing right now. You look at this Revolution roster. If someone gets the ball in a one-on-one situation running at the defense, who on the Revolution do you want that to be? Who on the Revolution is, like, the most creative with the ball at their feet and is going to make a move and get a shot off? To me, it's been Pinilla. I think Agadello has a chance when he plays a little bit with pace, but, like, no one terrifies me on this Revolution team that's going to be, like, that's going to that's gonna kill a defense, you know? Like, mm-hmm. no one's, like, I don't know, out of this world, like Joseph Martinez kind of guy where he's going at goal and he's going to scare you because he's going to, you know, scissor over one way and completely fake you out of your boots. Like, there isn't that guy to me. And I, maybe there isn't too much time, but just the creativity in the final third seemed to be missing. Well, and and I will say, I thought Christian Pena was doing everything he could to get a goal on the board. He, he had, uh, I think, the revolution of four shots total on target. Three of them were by Christian Pena, including what I thought was their best shot of the night. He had a, a nice shot where he went around two Union defenders and, and forced a save to uh, Andre Blake's left. Um, but yeah, Christian Pena, one key pass, 56.5% pass accuracy yesterday. Um, Pena and Fagundes had one key pass total, which is pretty low for both of them. Um, you know, I, I they it seemed like they'd get the ball to the final third and they'd be outnumbered. There'd be no one open. They'd have no options. Um, There's no movement. There was no movement. And, you know, I thought Caicedo, who I, I absolutely love on this team and I think is a great young player, I think moving him up and, and trying to, you know, make him kind of a key of the offense, that might have been a little too much for him to handle, I guess. I, I don't know. He, he didn't seem to have as much of an impact offensively as you would have liked. Um, and there were some moments where Andrew Farrell got down the, the flank on the right side and was able to get some crosses in. Um, they, they kind of look dangerous in those points, but Andrew Farrell is not exactly the, you know, you know, passer you want in those dangerous spots. Uh, that is, you know, we've talked about how he's improved his, his passing, but he's still not someone that you, you really picture as an offensive weapon. I think I'd rather have Brandon by on that side. If you're going to make him a key part of the offense, um, they seem to, you, you mentioned the play with, uh, Agadello and Machado, um, uh, you know, not having a connection. It, it seemed like across the board team, the, the entire team had moments where, you know, they, they were a little bit off and they were a little bit shaky and they weren't really sure where they were going to be or they expected someone to be there and, and, and no one was. I think there was one play where Farrell passed the ball to Machado who got the ball in the box and he, it looked like he was trying to dribble it around yeah, the defender, but he dribbled right three guys. three guys. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, there was no real offensive fluidity last night and um you know I, I think a lot of that is putting Fagundes up top uh he, he and just to get his stats he had that one key pass he had one shot not on target 62 percent pass accuracy I, I think he's one of your better passers and I mean he was just totally neutralized last night so I, I think when Teal Bunbury's in the game you know uh, you're, you're able to have one more passing option in the midfield and I think they really really miss that uh, I think Fagundes up top uh, really leaves you open and if they had another passer I don't know, maybe Kellen Rowe. I don't know what he's doing these days. But uh, where you, was he? Was he not in Philly? Uh, I mean, the lineup said he was on the bench. 
Uh, uh, he was there, and I, uh, he just was not on uh, the Allegedly, field. Kellen Rowe was at the game last night. And last week, too. He was. Uh, I heard he was there, too, last week. It's uh, So, I mean, when you need a passer uh, or, or, and, and someone to hold possession and, and give you another threat in the offensive third, I mean, I, I don't mind Fagundas up there, and, and he play, he's played, you know, the false nine before. You know, they've, they've been able to function without Teal Bunbury in the lineup, but um, last night it just really did not work. Um, and, you know, I think going forward, I think Teal Bunbury, I know he was sick or he had a, a I think he had an injury. He got hurt. Yeah, um, late knock, uh, late right. in practice last week. So he's, he, he's out one game. It, it doesn't look like a full, a, a long-term injury, thank goodness. But uh, but then you had to wonder, you know, well, okay, I mean, can't you put Agadello up top? And, and that, put... I, That's really what I would like to see. Agadello is, and he's just, he, when Agadello, I thought, about well, the last 15 minutes of the first half last night, uh, was really good. I thought he was moving really well. And when Agadella moves, like, you know, kind of gets onto top of people, moves without the ball and makes that darting run, he had that really close run where I think he just had brought it down. You're probably looking at a goal. He had just missed the touch on the through ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought he looked really good. And he's the kind of guy you want attacking it, it, at, at the defense. I think he's one of those guys that, you know, it's Pania, Agadell that are guys, if you go at the defense, you're good. And I think another thing Juan does really well is plays well with his back towards goal. Mm-hmm. I think he can bring it down and play it out. I'm still convinced Fagundes is a player that needs to play on the outsides. I think he needs to be on the width of the field because uh, here's my thing. Um, when's the last time do you remember the Revolution having like a little combination goal? Like the Lee win Fagundes... Like one, two touch, top of the box shot. I, I can't remember them having. I think at the beginning of the season with Padilla and Fagundes, we saw a little bit of it, um, but there just hasn't been that. I don't know if it's it's pass and not move, whether it's um, they haven't been great getting to the services because I do think Andrew Farrell has gotten. I know you guys are a little bit. You know, you say he's improved. He's not great yet. I think he's actually gotten pretty good at him. Um, I think he's gotten confident at it, putting the ball in the box, and just you know at that point, because he had that ball that Agudel headed that was you know another great save by Blake. Yep, he's putting the ball I think in in positions for the Revolution to win them for the most part. I thought Bai had a little bit of trouble getting service in last night, uh, but to me uh, Juan is kind of a guy you'd like to see at your target uh, up front, and Fagundes is more of a guy. Look, the guy's taking corners, so obviously he can cross the ball. So you kind of can latch him on Tagadello with a little one-two, play him wide, play him with fire, play him with Farrell on whatever side. He can overlapping runs, then he can attack the defender one-on-one because, you know, he didn't have it last night, but he's shown he can go at defenses one-on-one. Um, I just, do you remember a time where you're like, wow, look at that great cross from Agadello? <laughs> no, no, and, 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 and I, I'll agree with everything you said, um, and, and just to kind of touch on Agadello's performance, uh, 80, 88% pass accuracy yesterday, led the team in touches with 72, um, Farrell had 71, uh, so they were, they were working the ball on the right side, but, but you're absolutely right, I mean, if you're going to put uh, Fagundes kind of as your, your point man up top, I, I would rather have him on the wing, because uh, you get another passer and another crosser on the wing who, who's going to touch the ball a lot, and, and Agadello is a finisher, um, you mentioned the header uh, uh, from uh, Farrell that that was a near goal. That was a really nice play. Um, I, yeah, I mean that that was the only other shot on goal on on target. By the way, outside of uh, Christian, actually, I guess Brandon By had one too. I don't remember Brandon By's shot, but 
Uh, his was a header, and it was uh, clear oh, off the line. It was clear off the line. It was clear off the line. You're right. That was okay. Never mind. That was a really great chance too. Well, regardless, Agadol had one of the five shots on target. Uh, you know, he, he's a finisher, and I, I think he's really stepped up his game recently. You know, I, I think I'm confused to why Fagundes is the one playing up top when uh, those skills, you know, kind of fit Agadello uh, perfectly well. So yeah, I agree with everything you, you keep... said. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, if you want, if, I was going to say, if you want to keep Diego centrally, you drop him into that 10 roll, fine. I still don't think he fits right there. Friedel seems to think that's his really good spot for him, so fine, play him there. Put Agadello up top, slide in Fagundes in the 10 roll, don't play three defensive center midfielders, and bring on a guy like Kellen Rowe, who's had tons of experience playing on the wing. Um, and if you don't want him to be Kellen Rowe, I, for whatever reason it may be, I just find it hard to believe he's not training well. I mean, a guy that's been in the league six years now, seven years, whatever it is, um, I just I find it hard to believe he's not training well. Um, the guy's got what, five, he's got almost, I think, 30 goals in his career. I don't know. I, I know we're going to get into that later. I'm dipping my toes into subs early, but um, again, I think that's just an option. If Teal Benray is not there, put one to get all up top. Let him play off Penny and let him play off Fagundes. And he's got size. Let him get up there. And if you want those crosses, let him. He's look at the finish he had a couple weeks ago. I mean, it's not your typical goal. He had the header at the near post on the long throw. It wasn't anything special, but he got to the ball and he put it on frame. <laughs> yeah, let the guy get up there and do that. And I think if you pulled a hundred Revs fans or a hundred people who watched the Revolution, and you said, "What is the position? What is Juan Agudelo's best position?" I think everyone's going to say striker. I mean, an overwhelming majority is going to say a forward or a striker. They're not going to say an attacking midfielder on the right. I I, I don't know why they're playing Juan Agudelo. I don't want to say out of position because I, I don't think he's poor on the right side. But uh, I, I think in a game where you're missing Teal Bunbury, I'm surprised that they don't give him the start up top because I, I think he would have been able to make an impact um, – as opposed to Fagundes, who's also kind of out of position and was totally non-existent tomorrow uh, or yesterday. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to touch upon uh, Caicedo's performance really quickly, just because I think it's it's worth noting. He kind of had more of a role offensively. Um, he kind of struggled a little bit yesterday. Two shots on, uh, not, neither of them were on target. 72% pass accuracy. Uh, he was five for five on long passes, which. I guess that's great. He, you know, I, I don't think that's really what you want. I think you want some, some better passing in the uh, final third from a guy that's kind of, you know, in the attacking midfielder role, but uh, he did draw four fouls. So uh, the kind of standard performance for him, I, I thought he played pretty well overall. Uh, but as I say, n no real offensive spark, which I think the revolution were hoping for. Um, and then the one other defensive midfielder I'm going to uh, want to talk about just because it was really our first uh, long look at him yesterday was Christian Machado. The stat line is okay, 70% pass accuracy, four tackles, one interception, one clearance. Uh, he did have a bit of a uh, hold your breath moment in the 15th minute when uh, <laughs> he, he uh, I, I believe it was uh, Burke who he, he kind of did a, <laughs> a very late slide tackle on. Should have been carded, should have been at least a yellow. I think you could make the argument it was a red. Um, got a little too carried away. Uh, I, I think someone on Twitter made the comment that he was a perfect fill-in for Scott Caldwell, uh, who was playing pretty aggressively against DC last week. So I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Ryan. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Caicedo and Machado? I'm sure we're going to spend more time talking about Machado just because we got some first impression things to say about him. But uh, any thoughts on their performances last night? 
Yeah, I thought Caicedo kind of uh, played the role of uh, not, not a bully, but he, he kind of went toe to toe with um, Majunin, Majunin over there. They, they seemed to show them pushing and shoving a little bit, and and Friedel had mentioned something at halftime about the two of them, and and then after the goal, um, it seemed like Caicedo was kind of the first guy, you know, going around him. I, I thought overall he was he was fine. I didn't think he stood out. Uh, I thought he was a little bit maybe out of position, but you know, again, not a terrible performance. I thought the Revs overall were okay. There was a lot of just moments more than anything. There wasn't a ton of flow to the game. But I thought he was just okay, had his moments. Uh, Machado, uh, again, kind of similar thing. Seems like he just needs to get on the same page, which, I don't know, it seems like he's been around for a couple weeks, so you'd hope he's there. Didn't see anything spectacular out of him. Like you said, I think he got very lucky on that tackle. And then, you know, I thought, you know, he came out kind of at the right time. I thought it was a decent shift, and at that point it was time to get uh, someone with a little bit more offense, uh, Brian Wright, came on. And uh, I'm okay with Brian Wright coming on if you want some offense. That's not a bad sub, but I'm. we'll get to it eventually about, you know, leaving someone on the bench when you're down a goal. Um, but overall, I thought they both played solid. Nothing spectacular. Um, decent shifts, decent movement here and there. Um, just nothing mind-blowing out of either of them. And I guess they're in unglorious positions. Caicedo uh, maybe you want a little bit more out of when he's pushing forward, but um, just as long as they're solid. I didn't think Philly dominated attack, so I think that has something to do with both of them. Uh, yeah, just overall, you know, solid, nothing special, though. Yeah, and, and I will say, too, uh, if the Revolution needed a draw, I, I really think that would have been a great performance from the Revolution. If, if they needed one point and they were satisfied getting one point, right. uh, I, I, I think that, you know, that was a lineup to go with, and I, I think they played... Uh, really feisty. Uh, they, they didn't really hold possession uh, in the midfield, and they didn't have anything off, going offensively. And so, in that context, when you need three points, uh, you know, you know, it, it feels like a very disappointing performance from the Revolution. Uh, but I, I think this was a lineup that was built to fail, top to bottom. I think they really missed Steel Bunbury, as I, I talked about earlier. And um, you know, I, I think Caicedo played fine. I think Machado played okay. Um, I, I'm not totally sold on Machado being a starter on this team. Um, considering his age at 28. I mean, he is three years older than uh, Wilfred Zahibo. He is six years older than uh, Luis Caicedo. Uh, so he, he, he's a little bit older. I don't know how much of a long-term piece he is. He didn't necessarily stand out to me. Um, he did have that nice tackle on right before that, that um, sliding tackle we we're talking about where he should have been carded. Uh, he had a, a nice sliding tackle on Sapong um, where uh, Sapong was guarding by or, or was being guarded by Bai and Machado came in to help out. That was a really nice play. Um, he, he did have some moments yesterday uh, where you can kind of see the potential, but um, he, he seems to not be fitting in a, as well. I, I think I'd rather prefer Caldwell over him still. Um, overall, he's okay. He seems to be a, a decent depth piece. He seems to be a, a guy that they can um, do more things with and, and bring off the bench uh, if need be. So overall, I, I'd say it was a, a fair debut for Machado. Um We'll see how much he's utilized going forward when Scott Caldwell is available. I, I'm curious to see if, uh, you know, because he's a Brad Friedel signing, uh, if he's going to get more playing time going forward or if, I mean, Sean and I were under the impression this guy is just here for a depth piece, another guy that can come off the bench um, and, and seeing him play 70 minutes and him being the first one to come off yesterday, that leads me to believe he's a bench guy. Um, I don't know if you, you have any thoughts on that, but that that's the, seeing yesterday's performance, which didn't necessarily overwhelm me. Um, I think that was his tryout, and I I think he's solidified his spot in the eighteen. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's a ninety minute guy. 
Um, I don't know if that means he starts and plays 60 and you bring off, you bring someone off the bench based on what, how the game's going and you can kind of change how you want to play. Um, and, and I think you guys, like you said, you know, you brought him in as a depth piece. I think there's a lot of background with him coming in. Won't get into details of like exactly because it's a lot of just different articles here and there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he's a solid piece. Again, it's a position they have other guys at, so maybe it's just for competition purposes. But, I, again, I want to see him fully acclimated. I hate saying that because how long does it take to get fully acclimated? It's football. You, you've played it your whole life. All these guys on your team have played it their whole life. You should be able to kind of get along quickly. But, um, well, I mean, there's not too many games left. What, nine games left? Um, eight games left, something like that. So there's uh, – very little time to get acclimated, but let's see how on uh, down the road how he does. He, he also had 30 touches in 70 minutes. Uh, I, I know we, it's it's a team low for the starters. I know that's not apples to oranges because everyone else pretty much played 90 minutes except for Zahibo who played 88. Uh, but everyone else had 46 or more. So he, he, he had the least activity among the Revolution uh, yesterday too. I wish I had numbers through 70 minutes when he was subbed off, but I, I don't. Um, but it, he, he just seemed to be the least important player out there. But anyway, uh, we're going to hop over to Twitter questions. And I'm sure as our listeners can tell, we've been holding off talking about the substitutions and the substitution patterns by Brad Friedel, because that is quite a talking point uh, among our, uh, we, we tweeted asking for questions and boy, did we get responses. So uh, let's hop right into it. I'm going to go in order just because there's a lot of responses. Uh, and, and some of these will overlap, so we might skip your question if it's a, if it's a little bit redundant. But Zach Grimes, uh, who's written in some questions, he has a, a couple questions for us. Are we in the dark ages for the revolution? And should we start hitting the panic button? Uh, I would say that uh, we've hit the panic button a long time ago. I think the panic button has been smashed into pieces, as someone else said uh, on Twitter. Uh, I, I think that losing all three games to Philadelphia is... Uh, very poor that you can't get a single point from these guys. And I know we do our summer slump every year, but this year it seems like the most hopeless. I, I don't know how the revolution come back from the hole they've dug for themselves with the time remaining and the teams they have to jump. I, I, I think this is a team that we can pretty much safely say is not going to be in the playoffs. Um, and if they do get in the playoffs, I, I don't trust their ability to go past one round. So um, uh, are we in the dark ages for the revolution? Uh, I'll put it this way, and this might be putting an optimistic spin on it, but I think we are at the, uh, if, if you know building a team is a cycle, I think we're at the low point of the cycle and we are entering the rebuild stage. And uh, I think we will see some of the kids being played very soon to see what they can do and uh, what they can give to the revolution in 2019. So that's, that's how I'm going to put it. If you want to call that the dark ages, I, I go right ahead. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say it's the dark ages. Um, there, there were I some pretty think, bad years. There were some pretty bad years. Yeah, I'm like, I'm thinking back to like just like even just like a couple of years ago, like 2011, 11, 12, right at the end of um, Nickel, beginning of Heaps, guys like Brett, uh, Blake, Brett Schneider, or or like starting forwards for the Revolution. Ryan Guy was like a superstar here, and no, nothing against Ryan Guy, you know, great guy, no, no pun intended. But um, I think the difference is then. There wasn't, like, too much hate because of what was on the field, where they were going. It was a new coach, and let's see what he does. Um, not, I guess to give Jay Heaps credit, the Revolution were kind of built into a contender. Um, 
Jermaine Jones falling into their lap helped for sure. But by 2014, they're in MLS Cup two years later, right? Mm-hmm. And then the expectations are there. They were still competitive. They were in the playoffs the next year. Um, and now we've kind of slid down. But I feel like the expectation is still so high that it's tough to say they're in the dark ages because those 2010, 2011, 2012, those three years, I feel like expectations were just low. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, them missing the playoffs. It was kind of, you know, obviously the supporters were upset, but they weren't like terribly upset. I think what adds it now is that the expectation is we have good players. There is a, a competitive team to be had. We could make the playoffs. We could make a run kind of thing. So just because they're not playing well at the time, I don't think that makes it the dark ages. I just I think since the expectations are actually high and they are looking to do these things, that's a good thing for the team. Um, but I think we just need to look. At, I mean, look, Jay Heaps had that team in 2000. I don't know if it was 12 or 11 was his first year. Um, I want to say it was 2012. Two years later, they were in the MLS Cup. <laughs> yep. They didn't qualify for that two years later. So it you can turn around pretty quickly in this league depending on who you land. And Brad Friedel seems to have players he wants to get. And it doesn't seem to include some of the current guys, which that's going to happen. I'm sure there was guys when Jay Heaps came in that were not his type of player. Didn't fit his role. He had to mold that roster. Um, so we're just kind of in a, a weird revolution or a weird spot right now where their expectations are high, get to the playoffs, make a playoff run, but they're also in a new first-year coach trying to mold the roster spot. So, um, no, I wouldn't say Dark Ages, no. Yeah, and that's very well said. And I think you can point to Christian Pena and Luis Caicedo, um, and if you're still on the Turner train, you can say Matt Turner, and you can say these are really good young players who will contribute to this team for years. You can make that point about Diego Fagundes, even though he's in his sixth or seventh year with the Revolution, he's still very young. So I think there are still some pieces with this team that you can say, you know, in two or three years, if we add another superstar, um, you know, the, the, this will be a good team. Um, it, it seems hard to say right now, but, um, you know, uh, I think Brad Friedel's system doesn't fit a lot of players. Uh, and I think if we give him a little bit of time, uh, you, you're right. Maybe similar to Jay Heaps in two or three years, maybe this is an MLS Cup contender. It seems pretty hard to say right now. But uh, as opposed to, uh, yeah, that last year of the Steve Nichol reign where um, it just was players past their prime and guys that really just were not up to the league standard. So. Uh, I, I, I'll i put it that way. I think you said it uh, very well. I don't want to <laughs> repeat everything you said. Uh, we're going to hop over to a question by Karen and Reynolds, uh, and there's a number of questions here, but I want to address this one specifically about Brad Friedel. Uh, but he, he says, why does Kellen Rowe never get any playing time? Why can't the Revs score goals? Brad Friedel should be on the hot seat. If any other Boston sports team played this poorly over a month, there would be outrage. The revolution should be held to the same standard. Um, I, I want to address the Brad Friedel part too, just because this was not the only question we had about Brad Friedel on the hot seat. Um, and I, I think you have to remember where the standards were coming into the season. Uh, I don't think I, I visioned the revolution making the playoffs. I, I think I kind of saw this as a rebuild year in general. Um, and so I, I think because of that, you can't hold the results of this season against Brad Friedel and say, um, you know, he, he's not a competent coach or we can do better and we need to let him go. I, I think you need to let this season play out. And I think you need to let at least half of next season play out just to see where it goes. Uh, I do have some complaints about Brad Friedel's substitutions, which we will get to later as we, I kind of hinted. Uh, but I, I want to get your, your 
take on that, Ryan, if you think I'm, I'm on the, that, where it, it might be a little premature to say that Brad Friedel's job is in jeopardy. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance he's on the hot seat at this point. Um, you want to compare it to other Boston sports, that's a weird comparison to make because I don't think the Revolution or anything like the other four major sports teams in Boston. Um, and I disagree. I think any first-year coach coming off a team that didn't make the playoffs last year, you're a first-year coach, right, and you're getting new players in, you're changing your style. I don't think any coach would be on the hot seat at this point. Yeah, losing streak stinks, and you, know, you don't want that. You want someone to find a way to, to snap that, get a win. Uh, I just don't think it's anywhere close to the hot seat at this point. I, I think you'd like to see maybe um, – a little bit tweak in the style. Maybe uh, I think we're seeing a little bit of a Jay Heaps uh, syndrome here where he refused to kind of change his way uh, down the street. Like uh, at one point people figured out Jay Heaps' um, strategy. And I think his biggest downfall was that he refused to change. We saw the same formation, the same lineups over and over. Friedel at least is changing things. He's trying different things, whether it be from red cards, from not red cards, injuries, from not red cards. Um, he's trying different things, and I think that's important. Um, but I, I think it's tough to say he's on the hot seat half, uh, just over halfway through his first year, considering he took in a team that didn't make the playoffs last year. Um, it's not like he's, he inherited a superstar club. Um, it's his first year. He's trying things out. He's trying to get players he likes. Uh, I just don't want him to get into a situation where he's not doing things just because it's his way. Like not playing certain players because of this. I think certain players are called on in certain situations, whether they were the 10th best player at training or the best player at training. Your best player at training might have been a defender. That doesn't mean he gets to come on when you're down to nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, I don't think he's on the hot seat. I just think he needs to – and he is trying different things. I just think he needs to maybe um, be willing to do things against maybe what he wants to do. Maybe it doesn't fit right now. Yeah, and, and the one thing I'll, I'll add to is if we're comparing this to other Boston teams, um, the only person I can think of in recent memory that was fired after one season is Bobby Valentine on the Red Sox. And, uh, I mean, he was a disaster of a, of a manager. But the, the, the one thing I will say, which is why I think you can make the case that Brad Friedel should be let go, is if he totally alienates the entire locker room in a Bobby Valentine-type way where – you know, he comes in and everyone just immediately hates him. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of that. Um, but I, I don't think that's the case just from what com- players have been commenting. I, I think some people have given into Brad Friedel's system and some people haven't. And I think we can kind of tell who have and who haven't based on who's been traded and who's been benched and who's not going to games anymore and making the 18 and who is uh, 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 giving into Brad's system. So, um, you know, I, I don't think he's totally alienated the locker room or anything like that. And, and again, that could be the reason why you let him go. And I, I just don't think it's justified um, at this moment in time. Uh, so, and I'm going to skip ahead to another question. James Downing uh, asked us about uh, this, this kind of transitions into uh, something I want to touch on really quickly. We'll get to Kellen Rowe in a minute. I know, I know Kellen Rowe was the first part of that question, but uh, the Revs looked out of ideas offensively, even on the counter. Last pass decision was always wrong, which we kind of talked about earlier, Ryan. Um, that being said, uh, Zach Caribou comes on. Why? I love him, but he's no offensive spark. Has Brad given up on the season? Uh, and I, I want to kind of touch upon this because I, I'm under the impression that Brad Friedel is playing for 2019, um, but he's in a very strange half committed to 2019, half still trying to get results. 
I think you either play start Haravo over Machado. Uh, I think you start you know Brian Wright when Teal Bunbury's out or Femi when Brian, uh, when uh, when Bunbury's out. Uh, I think you actually if, if Brian if Brendan Bay is playing right back, I think you move Andrew Farrell to left back and you put Brandon Bay right back. Um, his lineup still seemed to. to Seem like he's getting, he's trying to get results and, and trying to squeeze in the playoffs. But um, you know his substitution patterns of putting in Brian Wright and uh, Haravo over Kellen Rowe kind of seem to to me that he doesn't see Kellen Rowe as a player that's going to be here next season, and um, he, he wants to see what he has on the bench. So, um, that, and I wanted to tie that question in with the Brad Friedel hot seat question, um, just because I, I think if the Revolution lose every single game going forward. You know, if we see some of the young guys and we see what we have on the bench, I think there's, in a weird way, a little bit of progress there. But if we see Juan Agadello's contract is allegedly up the season, if he's playing 90 minutes every single game over a, a, a Ryder, Femi, or, or a younger player who, who might be here next season, then, yeah, I think the results kind of speak to uh, Brad Friedel's ability. So I, I kind of want to throw that kind of caveat out there to... I think Brad has given up on 2018 and has given up on making the playoffs. But uh, if that's the case, I want to see the young guys. Yeah, my only uh, response to that would be, um, so if you want to see the young guys, like you said, start them here. Because I just don't think you're giving Haravo a run to see what he's got, to give him experience by putting him in the 90th minute or 80th, 89th minute, whatever it was. Like To me, when you're making a substitution at that point in the game, it's either to put a guy in, that's going to go give your offense a huge boost and give you one last chance at scoring. Who's got a touch around the 18 that can put the ball in the box, right? That can put the ball in the net. That to me, if you look at that bench, that's either Femi or Kellen Rowe at the two options right there. Cause Femi has, has had some big goals at the, I mean, it's only got like two or three, but it seemed like every goal he ever scored for the revolution was big. Um, Cause he can get in the box and he's a target guy. Uh, or you're putting in a defender to shore something up so that, you know, you're up one nothing and you don't get a late challenge. If you're looking ahead to 2019, playing Zach Haravo for two minutes in the 90th minute down one goal does nothing for me. Um, I, I, I think he needs some playing time. I think we've said that a lot about um, some of these guys, and I think getting a uh, USL team in, in Connecticut will help eventually because those guys need 90 minutes of playing. But... What does one minute – he's listed as having one minute. I know it was more than that because it was five minutes of extra time. What does that do for him? That's not giving him a run for 2019. That's In that situation, you're trying to go for this game, but you put in a guy who has, I believe, zero MLS goals. Yep. So I, that's just my holy response. If if you're playing them for next year, like to get them some minutes, it can't be down one nothing for the last five minutes. you got to put someone in there that's going to give you a chance in this game. Right, right. In the context of last night's game, the substitutions make no sense to me. Um, I, okay, Brian Wright, I, I understand that they like Brian Wright, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, we got we got a question on him, but um, yeah, Harrow Her- coming in for five minutes is not going to give you an offensive spark. It's not going to grow him as a player. It it isn't. The only reason you put in Zach Haravo there is to show he's above Kellen Rowe on the depth chart. It's almost like Brad Friedel could see, you know, people on Twitter, you know, asking where Kellen Rowe is and pretty much telling him that Kellen Rowe is not coming into the, you, you know what I mean? Kellen Rowe, we're not going to see him the rest of the season. That's essentially the only reason why Haravo is coming on in that situation. Cause he's not going to provide an offensive spark. He's not going to be a game changer in that scenario. 
I don't even know if he touched the ball yesterday. Hang on, let me pull this up really quickly. Yeah, he had, a, he had, he had, had five one, touches. He had one turnover, I think. He had to chase back and get it. And yeah. then the other thing I can remember is he tried to launch a, a switch across, and it was going to be easily intercepted, and the guy missed, and it went to um, Pania. Um, but those are the two moments he had. I mean, like, he, he played five minutes. And five, it's, yeah. it's hard to expect. I mean, like I said, you put someone in for those five minutes, the one thing you want to see in that depth chart, uh, the box score, the stats, is even if it's one touch, it's a shot on goal. It's yeah. something productive. Um, otherwise, I don't understand why you're bringing that guy in down one nothing. Yeah, I think Bradfield needs to make the decision of whether or not he's playing for 2018 or whether or not he's playing for 2019. And if you're playing for 2018, we, you know, you need Kellen Rowe when you're down a goal. Uh, you know, you have one attacking midfielder who can make it an offensive difference uh, in that scenario. And you need to put in Kellen Rowe. Uh, if you're playing for 2019, then Haribo needs to come on and he needs to come on in the 55th of the 60th minute. He's, he shouldn't come on and get three passes and five touches in five minutes against Philadelphia. I, I There's no good being done there in my mind. So I, I can't explain the substitution patterns. Um, I, I can't explain... You know why, why exactly we're seeing Haravo come on in a, in a game? It seemingly they, they want to win and want to tie. Uh, I, I it just seems to me that I mean Kellen Rowe must have done something to you know earn this benching. But unlike Somi and Diana, who's not even available, they're they're making him available, but they're not going to him when they you know in a perfect situation when they need him. Um, uh, it's a real head scratcher to me. So I mean I, I'm just looking at real quick the guys on the bench. So is Brian uh, I Wright... believe when you combine when you combine them, uh, it's I want to say two goals uh, between five guys, and Kellen Rowe has twenty eight, <laughs> uh, and you're putting in. And now, now, to be fair, Brian Wright has like less than two games experience in MLS, so maybe with some time, at least he's a striker. Right. You know, at least you're putting him in as a striker. We haven't really gotten to see him play too much. I mean, he had a good college career at UVM. Um, so, yeah, at least he's got a nose for goal. But he just hasn't played a ton, so it's tough to say him. Femi scored two goals in his career. So, okay, at least we know he can. But, I mean, Harvard's got – I mean, again, Harvard's in that situation too. He doesn't have a ton of minutes. But we know what position he plays. And it's yeah. just not attacking. you got Kellen Rowe with 28 goals. I mean, I'm probably jumping ahead of the, the discussion again. But um, 28 goals and you're down one nothing. Why isn't that guy coming in? A side note, we did get a question about Brian Wright uh, from Eric Waters. He asked, how come it's always right? Uh, how many touches did he have tonight? In any case, 100% of them were terrible. Uh, and I, I did look up his stats. He had uh, nine touches. He did have three aerials one, and I think that's where they, they see his value, that he can kind of win some aerials and be kind of a, a target man. Uh, Wright was three of six passing. Um, he seems to be he, – he did get 20 minutes last night. I Off the top of my head, I believe that was the longest – um, game of his, of his season. Normally he comes in after the 80th minute, so they, they did get him in earlier today. Uh, but are, are you surprised? I mean, would you like to see Femi as opposed to right in that scenario? Because Femi, uh, I know it's been a few years since he was in the rotation for the Revolution, but when he was, he was making more of an impact uh, compared to right. I mean, that that's my opinion. And he is making the bench in these these games. He's, he is available. Um, but for some reason, they, they end up going right. Would, would you like to see Femi in, in one of these games compared to Brian Wright? Um, I don't know if I'd rather see him over one or the other. I'm glad that uh, if you're down a goal, that you're putting in a forward. Uh, I, if it's right, it's right. If it's Femi, it's Femi. 
those are two guys we've seen so uh, less, not enough time for me to like properly, like I've seen film of them playing college. I've seen Femi play minutes MLS. I've seen Brian Wright play very few minutes in MLS. So it's very hard to judge them as strikers. Like to me, as long as it's one of the two, when you're down a goal, that's fine. Um, Femi again is another guy in the air. They're two young guys. Um, I'll say this about Femi, and this kind of goes for I feel like the whole revolution, uh, at least this year. Don't get hurt. I feel like if you get hurt, you you lose your spot, and it's very tough for you to get it back. Um, it it seems like it's it's incredibly hard if you are somehow find yourself on the outside looking in to get back in. I mean, Ann King just made the 18 this week for the first time. I want to say it might have been last week. Um, it just seems like it takes a while to get back into the, and that's fair. You know, you lose your spot, you lose your spot, you give other people's chances. Um, but again, just going back to your question, I don't care if it's right or Femi, um, as long as it's a guy that is known for the scoring. Um, and Brian Wright's played, like I said, less than I think 180 minutes in his career. So tough to, you know, judge him on that. And, and some of the stats you rattled off, like nine touches, stuff like that, eh, for 20 minutes for a team down one nothing. You're, you know, and you're playing with maybe one or two strikers. He's not going to get a ton of touches probably anyways. Um, but you just want him to have, at least maybe have gotten a shot or had a chance uh, in that that time that he was on the field. Yeah, and, and again, similar to the, to the stats we rattled off with Haribo, it, it's difficult to get a sense of what he can contribute long term. Um, you know, if, if you know he, he might be contributing to this team in 2019 uh, or not. Um, I, I think, think he had a really nice goal in U.S. Open play, if I remember correctly. I think he had a really nice goal um, from from distance. But again, it's he was he wasn't in like an attacking position last night. So, no. um, and yeah. he is seventy two minutes over six substitute appearances. So on average, that's what 12, 12, uh, uh Yeah, about twelve minutes a game. So you're you're not going to be able to tell a lot from Brian Wright, he, he, and he's essentially done nothing in those those uh six substitute appearances so um you know it's it, it, it is disappointing and and you know we talked earlier about why not play Agadell up top i mean maybe would brian wright or femi you know if you're missing bunbury maybe you don't put on machado but you put on a brian wright or a femi and, and see if they can contribute something i i again i i think that would actually probably benefit you in 2018 and in 2019 short term and long term but um i don't know there there's a lot of uh questions about the substitution patterns and we can can talk all day um but and going back to touch upon kellen Rowe, um which we've hinted at and i don't want to get too much into it because i flat out cannot explain it i i you know we we had a lot of people asking where's Rowe? why can't he get playing time i i think the only real answer is that he's not going to be with this team next year um brad friedel doesn't value him and uh you know he, he'd rather play guys who he does value and i don't know why that is but i i, I you know I, I there's three or four questions about kellen Rowe and, and the substitution pattern I, I think we just need to come out and say that um just because we, we've talked before about kellen Rowe getting in games and i think last night a uh, probably a must-win game a game you need a result and you're not going to him when you're down one. Um, I, I think that just kind of is extremely telling that we shouldn't expect to see Kellen Rowe get many more minutes with the Revolution in his career. Yeah, I, I just I, you know I wish there was kind of more to say about it than um, you know it's confusing why he's not playing. Uh, this guy a, has a proven track record. Um, he's not like he's 35 and on his way out. I mean, he's like 26 years old. I mean, this is still a young fit player that you know can do a lot 
you don't want to play him for 90 minutes. He doesn't fit into your starting lineup. Fine. Um, you know, I think Kellen Rose has been a professional about this throughout because um, he did play, uh, I want to say, two games ago. I want to say he was a starter after not playing a game, too. I want to say he didn't come off the bench. Then he got some time. He was interviewed after, and he basically was just saying, you know, hopefully he proved himself and you get time again. I think now we've gone two straight games without seeing him. But I thought he was okay that game that he, you know, he did see time. Uh, I just, and I get you want to let some of the younger guys prove themselves. But is down one goal in a must-win game that you said you're treating like MLS Cup? Like, so here's the thing is they said they're treating this game like a cup game. Brad Frito said they have 10 cup games. So you're telling me down one nothing, you're not going to at least say, all right, bring in Haribo, bring in Wright. You have a third sub. You already have, you don't need Casado and Zahibo in there down one nothing if you're going for the tie. You can pull one of them out. You pull one out just because he's tired, whatever it may be. But I just don't understand if you're saying you're treating this like a cup, like a must-win game, that you're not going to bring in a guy that like Kellen Rowe who has the offensive skill. Uh, and I, like I said, you don't want to put him in your 11. Fine, maybe you don't like the way he doesn't, you know, maybe he's not tracking back enough for you. It's just an example. I don't know if that's the case. Fine, but the guy has offensive talent. We've seen it. He creates things. He can shoot from distance. Um, he's just, he's a guy you want to in the box when it's the 90th minute and you're down a goal, maybe it bounces out to him. Maybe it bounces off of him. Uh, he's just a guy that has a nose for goal. He just hasn't played a ton this year. And I, it's just interesting. Um, I just, it's, 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 and you know, I think the most we're going to ever get is that people have to earn their spots in training. So I just find it hard to believe he's not training hard. That's my biggest takeaway. Uh, yeah. And, it's it's baffling to me. Uh, just to touch up on uh, some stats you, you, you mentioned about uh, how recently we've seen Kellen Rowe. Uh, the last time we saw him was a couple weeks ago against the Philadelphia Union in the home game. Uh, he got 10 minutes in that game. He picked up a yellow card. Uh, he also got 20 minutes uh, in on July 22nd against the Red Bulls. Uh, and uh, he started, it looks like, uh, a few games. He, he started a few games back in June uh, in July, it looks like he got starts against Seattle and against Minnesota United. So he, he, he it's not like he's not getting into the lineup. Maybe I'm a little too doom and gloom. Uh, I just, I don't get why he's not coming into uh, the game in that scenario. It's, it's yeah. confusing. Um, two games, two games in a row, not just one game, two games in a row, down a goal, and he's not coming into the game. Right, right. Uh, I, I just want to mention uh, the people who sent us in some questions. We don't have to, re- re- you know, repeat everything we just said. Uh, but Matt Davis sent us a question. Uh, why does Friedel refuse to make three substitutions? And when he does, it usually isn't until the 80th minute when it's too late. He isn't giving the team enough of a chance, but apparently doesn't value players coming off of the bench. Um, and again, I, I just wanted to thank him for his question. Uh, and I, I think we kind of touched upon it that he, he really doesn't value anyone on this bench. And, and I guess that's, that's the only explanation I have. Uh, at least we saw Brian Wright for 20 minutes. I'd say normally he doesn't go to his bench until the 80th minute recently. Um, and at Dendun29 uh, sent us a question, uh, how bad is the Revs bench and lack of uh, purchasing a quality attacker hurting them? Uh, I, I do want to kind of touch upon the uh, getting another offensive piece. Uh, and I kind of mentioned earlier in the episode that, you know, at least they didn't go out. I, I mentioned when the transfer window was open, you know, I'd rather them not get in a, an attacker uh, as opposed to going out and spending a ton of money on an attacker. Um, but 
you know, when one piece goes down in Teal Bunbury, everyone looks totally lost. Um, and, you know, it it's a shame they weren't able to get someone on the cheap who can come in or they had someone on the bench who they feel could replace Christian Nemeth or it sounds kind of crazy saying Christian Nemeth, but at least he was coming in on the uh, as a sub and, and they felt he was able to contribute something. Um, I, I don't think they have an offensive player on the bench who, I, I guess it's Brian Wright, who, who can come in and, um, you know, get that goal when they're down one. Um, not a, not a proven put, player, at least. I mean, right. maybe Brian Wright turns into that player, but at this point there's, well, exclude Kellen Rowe, there's no proven player that you're like, oh, yeah, here comes our um, super sub off the bench um, that's, you know, going to make an impact. And you'd think that'd be Kellen Rowe. I, 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 yeah. Anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to jump into that one again, but it's, it's, it's very apparent that Brad Friedel has his 11. I don't even know if it's really his 11 or if he just has to play 11 guys, but uh, I mean, he doesn't use all three subs and, and uh, it's too late when he brings in Zach Caravo. It's, it's crazy to me the the substitution patterns and all you can really say is he just doesn't trust anyone. Um, Cropping over to a couple of formation questions. Uh, Zach Grime asked us if it was time to switch to a three back formation. Um, and then also there was one other question too that I don't have the, I can't find who sent it in. Oh, sorry. It was uh, Christopher Vulicus. Hopefully I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, who thought that the four, one, four, one worked pretty well coming out of, uh, of halftime against DC. Uh, why not start the game like that? Um, I don't have a lot to add in this questions. I don't know if, if you have any, uh, for Ryan, if you have any input on this, uh, I, I think they were just handicapped yesterday with, with Teal Bunbury missing, you know, missing the game. And I, I think they kind of felt that I, I know Jeff Lemieux tweeted out something that they wanted to play those three defensive midfielders to kind of match up against Philadelphia. So I, I, I think they were kind of playing matchups. If anything, I still think it looks like they're kind of playing for a draw. It, it wasn't a very offensive lineup. And I think pretty early on, you could tell it was. And the fact that they, didn't bring on someone to change the formation kind of showed that they were happy with a zero zero draw or, or trying to get a goal and, and getting out of there one, one. Um, but did you have any thoughts of the formation? And do you think a, a formation change is needed? Uh, yeah, I have one quick thought about uh, the, whoever asked about going to three in the back. No, um, <laughs> pretty simple as that. This team has trouble defending sometimes with four. So uh, putting three uh, is not going to help. I don't think that's not going to help. I don't think it will help your offense. I don't think it will help your defense. Uh, so the answer is no. As to the other four-one-four-one uh, question, uh, formations are so fluid to me. Um, it's it's hard to say you're ever locked into. Uh, it's not like foosball where they can't go anywhere. I mean, it's it's soccer. They people move around the pitch. It's they people change sides. Formations are so fluid. I think it's tough to look at a formation switch as kind of the the key answer. So. That's just my two quick thoughts on this. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll give uh, the the three back question a little bit more um, credit. I don't, I don't want to say credit because I think it's a legitimate question either way. Uh, but we we've talked in the past about doing a three center back question with two wing backs. I mean, then you, you might view that as a three two, you know, whatever, or a three five two or something like that. Um, and, and I think that formation might work. I know they tried it against Columbus uh, way back in the spring, uh, but that was with Chris Tierney. I don't think they have the um, personnel right now to to do something like that anyway I, I think you'd need somi or dielna to be your left back and then put brandon by on the right side and then move Farrell to center back i guess you could do mancien and annie baba and de la Maya with by on the left and Farrell on the right but then you really have no depth at all at center back on, on the bench um and you're or, also adding a lot of you're taking 
basically a, a attacking player away with that too. So right, yeah, I, I was going to say you're 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 kind of stacking the back with I don't want to say bad defenders, but your your strength you're taking away from a strength to help out a weakness and 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 you know that that to me is playing for one point and and i don't know i I, i'm not a big fan of that i think the and i think long term you're going to want to play with four in the back i don't think that's that's a formation you want to go long term so uh again adding to the context of if they're playing for 2019 um you know i i i I don't think that would really benefit anything else so um i i think we got all of our twitter questions there were a ton i know it was kind of all over the place and i'm I'm sorry for the listeners if it was a little difficult to follow at times uh but we thank you everyone for your questions uh Brian, do you have any any shout outs uh, you you want to get to uh, before we wrap this up? Uh, give a shout out, I guess, to the entire state of Massachusetts. High school soccer is underway. Uh, so best of luck in this upcoming season. Uh, as a lot of you know, I cover a specific area, so I cover the Hockey Month League. So uh, should be a good year with that. Should be a good year across the state. Um, the big question in high school this year, uh, for the boys at least, uh, will Brockton be able to uh, defend its crown? Are they one-hit wonder? I went to Brockton High, so I'm going to say they can defend the crown. I think they're in a new era with a ton of skill over there, so I think you're going to see them competing for that D1 state title more often than not. Um, so that's my shout-out, high school soccer. So I, I love when we go off uh, just MLS. I know in the spring we were talking a little bit U.S. Open Cup, and so – uh, now that we're hopping into the fall, we're getting college and high school soccer back. It's uh, getting pretty. If the revolution keep uh, this pace up too, maybe uh, to add more of a positive spin, we'll have to add some more <laughs> high school coverage. We'll bring you back on, Ryan. Uh, I don't. I don't really have um, much of a shout out this week. I, I will touch quickly upon just because it was news uh, a little bit. But uh, Tom Quinlan uh, mentioned that uh, kind of stirred up the stadium rumors again. He says he's hearing something about the craft purchasing land in i think it was alston brighton cambridge area um and, and nothing really has come up uh, uh of those rumors but I, I feel like it's it's worth mentioning that there are those talks again um and, and we should i guess we'll give uh, tom a shout out uh, he, he does the new american game which sean is frequently a uh, guest on that show so uh if you're looking at uh, a podcast for kind of more of a broad national team coverage uh we definitely recommend uh, going over there but um yeah no, nothing nothing concrete on the, the stadium rumors uh, I, I think we talked about this a few months ago uh Jorge Mas mentioned it at his uh, conference about, uh, you know, building a, a stadium next to the Boston Garden. I, I don't believe it until there's an actual formal announcement. So, um, yeah, I won't either until the revolution. But that time of year, I feel like stadium talk takes yeah. over. So it, 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 I, I felt I feel it's worth mentioning, uh, but not digging much too into because um, it, I just think we're beating a dead horse at this point. And until there is an announcement by the crafts. Uh, I, I don't think we're getting one, so <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll see how it goes. But uh, anyway, hey, uh, Ryan, uh, give us your Twitter handle real quick. Uh, R, uh, at R underscore Lanigan, L-A-N-I-G-A-N. Come follow. Uh, I've been doing a little bit more Revs coverage this second half of the season, so um, should get you some great insight. Great insight coming from me there. And uh, you can follow us at Revolution Recap. We also have a Facebook page that you can go if, if give us a like there. We'd greatly appreciate it. Um, and you can follow me personally at G Johnstone 12. Uh, although, as I say, if I'm tweeting about soccer, uh, it's going to be on the Revolution Recap uh, Twitter handle. So that's really the only one you need to follow. But uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate all the Twitter questions. Uh, hopefully we got to everyone this week. I think we did. Uh, but again, thank you for listening very much. And uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Take care. Bye.